Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, good morning, Lex City. How's everybody doing today? All right, that's good to hear. Well, uh, like Brian said, this is my first time preaching, so I'm honored and slightly terrified uh, to have this opportunity to be with you guys here today. Um, I know uh, those of you who know me know this is not the place that I would typically prefer to be on a Sunday morning. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name's Austin. Uh, This is my beautiful wife, Libby. Um, We have an overweight golden retriever and an overweight cat, Um, so it's good to know they're taken after their dad. Um, I've been on staff here for about three years doing worship and production stuff, um, but before that I interned here for uh, all four years of college, so I've been around this place for seven years, so to say that this church uh, and you guys truly are my family uh, would be an understatement. Um, This church, these people, uh, and getting to be on staff with some of my closest uh, and longest friends has been amazing, and uh, it's truly like a family to me, so... Um, when Brian and Zach asked me to speak today, uh, pretty quickly, God uh, kind of just laid something on my heart uh, for this church, and honestly, for me as well. Uh, so just know everything I say today, everything I preach, it's just as much uh, for me to hear uh, and to relive as for you. Um, so this is something God's been walking me through uh, kind of just the past few years of my life, so I figured I would just take some time and uh, share with you what God has been uh, teaching in me the last little bit. Uh, I mentioned this church feels like family to me. Family's been a pretty important uh, part of my life. All growing up, my, uh, both sides of my family were pretty close. Uh, so growing up, uh, I mean, all of your typical Hallmark family traditions of Thanksgiving, Easter, Christmas, all of those, you name it, we did it. Um, specifically, um, my dad's parents, uh, they lived really close to us all growing up. So if we moved, they moved. Uh, They were within five minutes um, of our house at all times. So I was always at grandma's house. How many of you, a lot of your childhood took place at grandma's house? Yeah, and how many of you, you can picture the one grandma's house, you were always there, you can picture what it looked like in the front door, you can picture what it smelled like. I remember I'd always go um, right there, right after school. Uh, They So they lived in this Tudor house uh, that was... It's the most stereotypical grandma house you could possibly have. Um, Way back off of this winding uh, gravel drive, uh, we'd drive down, I'd hop out, I'd be all excited. You bust through the front door. First thing you smell is cookies, of course. Um, And I remember uh, I'd go, it'd be about 3 or 4 o'clock, so we'd, uh, me and my grandma would play games. She'd be making dinner. We'd be waiting for my grandpa to come home. He'd come home, we'd eat dinner, and then off to play more games. Um, every single detail of this house is just ingrained uh, in my head. I think it's just something about us at kids, uh, as kids that those memories just kind of stick around a little bit longer than others do. Uh, the most important thing I remember about this house was the downstairs bathroom. So you'd go through the front door, you'd walk in right to the right, little tiny little bathroom, and I thought it was the coolest thing because it had one of those doors that just kind of like slid into the wall, so I'd just slam that thing all day. I was always getting in trouble. I was always getting in trouble for leaving the toilet seat up after I peed. My grandma wasn't happy with me about that. Uh, But something I always remembered was the faucet. The faucet in this bathroom had typical like, uh, first I'll just ask, when you go to wash your hands in the bathroom, which knob do you go for? 
Some of you need to wash your hands more. Um, when you go to the bathroom in the dead of winter in Cleveland, Ohio, which is like six months out of the year, which knob do you reach for? The hot water. Yeah. Well, the hot water didn't exactly get there quick in this bathroom. So, I mean, I don't know because I never waited around to find out. So, 10, 15 minutes maybe it felt like. But I don't know if you've ever had experience with the patience level of a six-year-old boy. It's not high. Um, so little six-year-old me in this bathroom would turn on the hot water, wait, didn't come. So I said, forget that, we're going to the cold water. And I used to be so mad, I used to be so upset that I'm sitting here, it's freezing, and I'm just sitting washing my hands, cold water, and I'm angry, and yeah. So fast forward to, I think it was a few years ago, I'm somewhere at the mall, I don't know. It's middle of winter, it's cold, and I go, I reach for the cold water, I'm washing my hands, and I'm just angry like why why is the water cold and then I'm like there's not one spigot there's not one handle on here there's two handles on here why am I going to the cold water when there's hot water ready available and it just like flashed back to me at my grandparents house at five or six years old for the last 20 years I've been washing my hands with cold water no matter the temperature because of that faucet in that bathroom um And it was in that moment that God chose a seemingly insignificant part of my childhood to challenge me and reveal to me something about his character and specifically how that my present actions had been dictated by past actions of impatience. Uh, And in the same way, we, we have the tendency to treat God the same way. We have the tendency to treat the way that we pray to him, the way that we bring our requests to him in the same way. He showed me that in my own life, I was approaching prayer the same way I was approaching washing my hands, letting my past self, who didn't have the knowledge I have today, dictate my future. And trust me, I thought it was a really stupid analogy uh, at first, but I believe God can use stupid, and I believe God can use this seemingly insignificant thing of me washing my hands just as equally as a blinding light uh, to teach us today. So I believe there are three obstacles that get in the way of our prayer, the way we talk to God, the way that we bring our burdens to him. And I believe that because past experiences we've had or haven't had, that oftentimes the way we pray, or if we pray at all, has been affected. So today I wanna bring up the obstacles of our persistence, our preferences, and our faith. Because I believe God has something to teach us today in the area of prayer. Uh, So just a reminder, as we get into God's word today, all of the message notes uh, and scriptures you can find on lexcity.info, there's a little message notes tab there. So the first obstacle many of us face when it comes to prayer is this obstacle of simply our persistence. Uh, In Luke chapter 18, Jesus addresses this with his disciples, with the parable of the persistent widow. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, and finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, the ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. 
However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So here, basically, Jesus is telling the story of an unjust judge who, due to this widow's persistent nagging and asking and pleading, finally just says, enough, I don't want this woman, uh, this woman hunting me down at my house and asking me anymore. I'm just going to grant her request. And he poses the questions to the disciples. If this unjust judge grants this widow's request purely out of annoyance, will your Father in heaven, who loves you, who cares for you, and who created you, not grant your request. Uh, in high school, I remember, uh, I don't know when it was exactly, but my dad was kind of talking with some uh, parents, friends of his, and, and he said this. He said, I always knew what was important to my kids by how much they asked. He said they would ask for a toy at the store or they'd ask for a slushie or they'd ask to go do this or go do that, and most of the time it, would just, it was just an in, in, in the moment kind of ask, but he said, I always knew what they really cared about because of how much they asked. And when it comes to bringing our request to God, he's called us to be persistent with our prayers, persistent in bringing our burdens to him because he cares about the things that we care about. He welcomes your requests and he longs to hear your request. The whole reason God created us in the first place was because he wanted to be in relationship with us. And what better way to be in relationship with us than to confide in someone, to let the other person know what's important to you. And when I think of me as a child going back to the, the bathroom in this faucet, six-year-old me didn't know how a water heater works, uh, that it can take time before I get what I'm looking for. However, adult me should know that if the water says, uh, the water heater says it's going to heat the water, it's going to heat the water. It may take time. It may take longer than I would like. But if I'm persistent, I have to believe my request will be answered. But as a kid, I wasn't persistent, and I gave up on waiting. And not only did I give up on waiting, I gave up on trying. I said, I'm just not even going to wash my hands in general, and I certainly am not going to wait for that hot water. So just like it took me about 20 years to realize, I, uh, to realize I'd been using cold water, because I was still acting off the patience and persistence of a six-year-old. I believe there's things in our relationship with God, again, that we do or don't do because of something in our past. And we might not even realize it. Maybe you're in a place today where you've been waiting on God to do something for a while. Or you're in a place where you feel like God hasn't done anything of substance in your life, in your situations. And I would just ask this tough question. Has God stopped working or have you stopped asking? Has God stopped working or have you stopped asking? I know in my own life, because of my own pride and, and human nature and flesh, there's things that I don't even bring to God in the first place because I don't believe that they warrant his attention. I believe I can handle them on my own. We often hear that we need to be praising God on both the mountaintops and the valleys, and that God wants to be with you on your mountaintops and your valleys. And can I just encourage you today? I think God wants to be with you in your insignificant just as much as he does your significant. There's nothing too insignificant to God. And I believe God wants to be a part of every part of your life. He cares about you, and he cares about what you care about. So let's be persistent in talking with him and letting him know what we care about. The second obstacle we face in our prayers uh, today is the obstacle of our preference. Uh, we often pray prayers to God, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, we, our prayers have stipulations. 
uh, we may uh, pray, uh, dear God, I pray that you would help me through this season of financial hardship in my life. May your will be done. Amen. And I think if we're honest to ourselves, what we're really praying is, God, I pray that you would help me in this financial season of my life by way of paper check in the next five to seven business days delivered in my mailbox. May your will be done. Amen. And we kind of just sign it off. Uh, and I would just say, if God gave us what we prayed for exactly when and how we thought that it would be answered, there would be no room for faith. There'd be no room for us to trust him. Uh, we read in Matthew 7 as part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So basically, we hear Jesus say, if you ask something of your Father in heaven, you will receive it that we won't receive something different than what we ask for. If we know God hears and answers the prayers of his people, then we can't complain when it's not answered on our terms. For our Father in heaven knows us, and he knows what's best for us. In Mark 4, uh, Jesus tells his disciples a few short parables comparing the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds that you can find that when it's planted and when it grows, ends up turning into one of the largest of all of the garden plants. And I believe God tends to answer our prayer, to, to answer our prayers with the seed, when most of the time we expect the fully grown plant. You see, the seed allows for faith, because if we don't have faith that God can make something out of nothing, if we don't believe that God can make something significant out of the insignificant, then we don't really need God. If we don't believe that God can make something out of our situation, then we weren't, we're not really asking him for anything. We're merely just giving, we're asking him to give us the supplies so that we can do it on our own. Which leads us to the last obstacle that we face in our prayers, which is our faith. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus and his disciples are in the city of Jerusalem. They've just got back from doing ministry uh, in Jericho, and we pick up in verse 12. It says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. We'll skip down to verse 19. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and here's the key, does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So I think a lot of us, we find ourselves praying for things, or we've, we find ourselves not praying for things, not bringing our worries, our troubles, and our requests to God, because deep down, we don't actually believe that anything is going to happen. 
I think sometimes because we haven't yet experienced anything happen ourselves, or I think more often we've experienced something happen and we've simply forgot all of the thing that, uh, things that God has done in our life, um, that we don't trust him. We don't truly, if we're honest with ourselves, have faith that these prayers we're lifting up are going to be answered. Going back to the faucet analogy, I'm almost done, I promise. Uh, Six-year-old me didn't believe that the hot water was ever going to come out of the faucet, no matter how long I waited. It wasn't necessarily a patience issue, but it was a patience issue that led to a faith issue. I never gave the hot water a chance, uh, the hot water heater a chance to do what it was made to do. Six-year-old me also didn't know that a hot water heater existed. I thought it just kind of hot. Okay. Um, If I would have waited patiently for that hot water to come, then the next time I went to turn the hot hot water on, I would have had faith that it would have eventually shown up because I'd seen it before. So for me, growing up in church uh, my whole life, I've been able to see God do amazing works in people's lives. But for the majority of my life, uh, it was one that wasn't centered around prayer, uh, around me letting God into every single part of my life. Uh, And growing up, I I just guess there wasn't anything in my life serious enough to warrant a prayer. There wasn't anything big or grandiose enough that I thought God wanted to hear about, that I thought God cared about. My own pride prevented me from thinking I needed or really wanted to pray often at all. I remember my youth pastor in high school used to always say this. He used to say this every time we pray. He said, something happens when you pray that doesn't when you don't. Something happens when you pray that doesn't when you don't. Meaning to say our prayer has genuine impact. Like it doesn't, it doesn't return void. That God hears our prayers and he answers and I don't know uh, really if I believed it at the time, uh, but I can tell you with confidence that I believe it now. Um, in 2019, right before Libby and I got married, we uh, got the opportunity to go on a missions trip to Malawi, Africa, uh, to an orphanage over there. And it was a three-week missions trip. Uh, that second week, uh, no matter how many vitamins my mother-in-law gave me, uh, I got just a horrendous stomach bug. Um, that left me emptying the contents of my stomach any way that my body could figure out how to do that. Uh, it was it was brutal. Um, one day that week, my uh, the team was out. They were doing they were putting on kind of like a youth camp uh, for the teens of the the orphanage, and I stayed back, still dealing with the stomach virus thing um, in kind of the common room where we were sitting. And I I there was a recliner. I went and took a nap. Um, And the next thing I remember, I get woken up from this uh, nap by the lady who was kind of in charge of the whole um, trip thing. And she said, Austin, your grandfather's gone into cardiac arrest. Um, He's been placed in a medically induced hypothermic coma, and he hasn't woken up. Uh, I was in total shock. I always thought my grandpa was in pretty good health. He was 67 at the time, not super young, but also not super old. Um, And up to that point, I hadn't really had to process the fact that I could lose a grandparent or lose a grandparent this soon. And I started to cry knowing that there was nothing, absolutely nothing that I could do. I was completely powerless. And not only was I completely powerless, I was on the completely other side of the world. 
And I think at that point it set in that there was a good chance I was never going to see my grandpa again. Uh, thoughts started flooding through my head. Uh, just like I said, family's super important to me. So when I think of these life kind of milestones, I'm thinking he's not going to get to see me graduate. He's not going to see me get married. He's not going to be able to see me have a kid. I remember lying in bed that night with the, realiz uh, with the realization that only God had the ability to do anything about the situation that I was in. And I began pleading with God to not let my grandpa die. I wasn't sleeping much as it was because I was still going on with my stomach stuff. But in between the pain, I prayed. And the next wave of pain would come and I'd pray. At that moment, I couldn't care any less about what was going on with me. The only thing I wanted was just to see my grandfather again. So that became my prayer. God, if, if, if it's not your will to heal him, at least let me get back home and let me say goodbye. Um, and I know others were praying too. Uh, both sides of my family are, are Christian and have uh, grown up in church. So knowing all of his friends, knowing my family was praying, knowing every single old Facebook friend that he ever had was praying, um, I knew we were in good company. And I think anyone who ever knew my grandpa prayed nonstop for those first two or three days and would continue praying uh, for about the next month or two as God was about to do something crazy. So as I got more information about what actually happened with my grandfather, it wasn't looking good. It was looking worse. So he had sat down in his chair one evening to, to read a book in his recliner, and my grandma had gone in the other room to get ready for bed. And he went into cardiac arrest, had a heart attack. And it took about 20 minutes by the time my grandma found him and the ambulance got there. And when the ambulance arrived, he was completely unresponsive, had no pulse. Uh, the ambulance left without the lights on, and my grandma and parents who had made it over there at that time were 100% certain uh, that he was dead. The EMTs were able to get his heartbeat back in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. And once they got him there, they cooled his body down, putting him in a hypothermic coma, basically to just kind of a, a last-stitch effort to try to reduce any of the effects uh, of his brain being without oxygen for so long. Two days later, after they got him to the hospital, he coded again. Uh, nurses had to rush in and give him CPR, and they had to use the, the AED to, to shock his heart uh, back into beating. Um, and that ended up breaking a few ribs and actually punctured one of his lungs. The next day, the doctor came in and told my grandma to accept the fact that even if by some miracle they were able to take him out of this coma, by some miracle if he were to wake up, that he would be brain dead and he would never be the same person that he was again. I think we've got a picture of my, yeah, grandpa in the hospital there. So the next week, uh, he was transferred to the Cleveland Clinic on a ventilator and a feeding tube, and he started dialysis um, multiple times a day because his kidneys started failing. Um, and this is about the time when I was able to come back from Malawi um, and was able to go see him. And I, I don't think I realized, uh, realized it at the time, but I realized now that God was already starting to answer prayers. I got to see my grandpa again. Um, over the next two weeks, while uh, still in the coma, he would go through a, a tracheotomy uh, so that they could put a feeding tube in, uh, which is kind of just the first step in maybe trying to wake him up from this coma. 
Um, and I remember sitting there at the hospital, looking at him, trying not to bawl my eyes out, thinking, God, if you've brought him this far, God, how much more do you have for him? I think it was a day or two later that an MRI revealed that he still had 100% of his brain capacity. He'd begin opening his eyes and eventually mouthing the words, recognizing family members in the room. One more week goes by, and he was out of the hospital in rehab, taking his first steps after the attack. While he uh, was in rehab, the trach tube uh, came out, and he had to be rushed back to the ER. And it was in this kind of him getting rushed back to the ER that in the ambulance, my, uh, um, my parents' uh, grandma, who was with him, started to tell the uh, the EMTs, kind of everything that he would, uh, that he has gone through. And they, they started to tell him and they stopped her and said, oh, we know. The medical community had labeled him the miracle man. There was only a 10% chance that he would survive the cardiac arrest. And after that, he was given a 0% chance of returning to his former self as brain death was inevitable. And roughly 40 days after the initial attack, my grandpa came home. He came home 100% of the man that he was before. And he was able to see me graduate. And he was able to be at my wedding. Something happens when you pray that doesn't when you don't. It took something like this happening in my family for me to truly understand my need for God in all circumstances. That there were things in this world that I couldn't have any control over, that I needed to have faith, to be persistent, and to not care how the prayer got answered, just that it was answered because there wasn't another option. And today this room is full of answered prayers. It's full of people who know that prayer works. And I'm also sure just as many people that are in that place, there's people in this room today that are struggling to hold on to the faith that their prayers make a difference at all. And I tell my story today to hopefully ignite the faith for somebody else that needs to know that prayer works someone who's maybe heard it a bunch but has yet to experience something in their own life. Can I encourage you today, if you're struggling to find faith, if you're struggling to find the words to say, we have people all across this church who have been right where you are at this moment. And we're going to close today um, and we're going to sing and we're going to take time to pray to, to bring our requests before God. And our prayer team is uh, going to come down front. And this isn't just like a systematic thing that we do because we have to. They're there because they genuinely care about you. They're here down front because they want to be that faith if you don't have it yourself. They are there because they want to fight for you. They want to fight for what's on your heart, for what you care about. Because God cares and God cares about what's on your heart. So these altars down front are open.
I would just ask, would you join someone in prayer today? Whether that's for our church, whether it's for our families, or just for your own faith. But let's believe that God is going to work today because our prayers matter to him. Something happens when you pray that doesn't when you don't. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church slash give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.